Has the paradigm in the NBA changed forever because of the Kyrie Irving trade? We'll find out, and we'll get into it with two guests this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. We are Sans Coach this week. This is the second week he will be out. Don't worry, though. He will return next week. I have brought in two guests this week. But before we get into that, I want to shout out the Bradley Braves basketball team. Coach was at the, was at the game last night. They took home the Missouri Valley regular season conference title. He was very, very excited, was able to storm the field, storm the court, whatever. And he was a very, very happy man. So we'll be able to talk about that next week. However, this week, I want to get into the NBA. Now, since we've brought back Iceman and Coach, we've not really gotten into the NBA too, too often. And whenever I need some help, I always bring in the ringers. So I'm going to bring back Cleve, who you've seen before, host of political football and a newcomer to Iceman and Coach, PhD in basketball, Mr. Matt Humphreys. Gentlemen, welcome to Iceman and Coach this week. Yo, what's going on? Not too much. So you live in the great state of Florida with the great governor, Ron DeSantis. I know you're a very big fan of that. I'm sure he is a big NBA fan. He seems to be a big NIL fan. That's another episode for another time. But uh, how you guys doing? No complaints down here. I even got uh, a couple of chances to cross off a couple more sports bucket list items off the list since I've been back down, which has been fun. Please elaborate. Um Within the, about a week after we moved down, I uh, had a, a friend of mine got some courtside te- sick seats for a Magic game. Uh, we were literally right behind the bench, like the row right behind the bench. Nice. Um, it's great seats. They won the game, which was also always a plus. But I love hearing like the banter on the court. Love hearing how much the team, like they really like, like each other and get along. Love hearing how they're actually, how they're coached, like actually getting into the huddle. It was probably one of the best sporting experiences of my life. It's awesome. Is it fair to say, though, that the Magic are kind of on the upswing in terms of their team, in terms of the franchise? It's been a while since you've been this excited. That's not a shot. I think it's a, a realistic observation. I'll tell you, it's amazing what being healthy can do because outside of like the brutal schedule that they had, is I think eight of their first 10 games were on the road this year, which is not good for any team, <laughs> much less one that's young. But ever since I think it was like the first or second week in December, Magic are 20 and 16, which is like actually respectable. <laughs> and they're like playing well. Like they've been fun to watch play. They're learning how to win. They're growing every game. They're solidifying rotations and knock on some kind of wood. They're staying healthy. It's amazing what happens when people are healthy and available. What would you guys think uh, the best seats in the house? Ringside, 50-yard line, courtside, or center ice? So I have been center ice and in the front row. That is nowhere to be. In hockey, you want to be right above the glass. That's the best plate. That's the best seat in the house. I would say, actually, probably courtside. I mean, I, I don't think there's a sport that lets you get that close to the action in its closest seat. I mean, baseball front row, yeah, if you're behind the catcher, but you're still not really part of the action. You're front row at an NBA game. Those guys are kneeing you in the face if they're diving for a ball out of bounds. Hmm. I'd almost rather sit in the in the end zone at a, if I'm like, like front row at an end zone. Like I'd rather be right there when they're scoring. Yeah, but I've done that too, and it sucks when they're on the other end of the field. So for half yep. the game, you're doing this, trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And when they score, you're like, yay, that looks great. Let's hope that they play that on the Jumbotron or the big screen. I don't know. That's a good question, Cleve. I, I've never sat courtside 
at a basketball game before. So I really don't know. Well, me, for, not for a professional game, but for like a high school game and college game, I've sat courtside. But um, <clears throat> as, as unexciting as it sounds, um, ringside is not as exciting as it sounds. It sounds exciting because you get to sit amongst some people that you would not normally sit around for a fight. But for a fight, if you're in an amphitheater, like in the place over here on the MGM, sitting in the uh, top tier of it, looking down on the ring, it's probably the best that you can get in the house. You know, it's an underrated event to go to is a live golf event. When you get to walk around and be like right up on it, especially right at the tee box. I mean, you are like five feet away from these guys hitting this ball. And I know that when I have a group behind me playing golf, I usually shank it into the woods. I do not know how they perform under that kind of pressure. It was way different than I thought it was going to be. And you had free reign. You kind of could walk around the course as long as you weren't making any any ruckus. And you saw a lot more action. So that was an underrated sports event, in my opinion. Nice. I feel like, too, the closer you sit to the action, and I know this was our experience when we sat uh, behind the bench, but you see it on on television, obviously. But like, it doesn't matter what sport it is; it's so much faster when it's up close, like right oh, yeah. in your face. Like I was like, oh my gosh! Like, like you see how quickly they're moving on the court. Like I have, I'll be lying if I didn't say I had the Magic game on the background. But like, when when you're right there and you're just like, it's not like split second sort of decisions. It's amazing, and you kind of sometimes you don't always realize that until you're like right there in front of your face. Very tough to be a referee. Very tough to be a referee, to call it in the spot. You also get an appreciation for how big these dudes are. Like the very first professional wrestling event I went to, I got a glimpse of what six foot 10 looked like in real life. And when you're eight years old, it's fucking massive. <laughs> I bet. Listen, I'm six feet three. I'm six feet three and I've got seven foot whatever bull bull standing six feet away from me. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> like I feel like, and he's thin, but I still feel like tiny. Yeah, they did not make people like that when I was going to college. I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> so I opened the show pondering a question about the paradigm in the NBA. And I think if you go back to July 1st, 2019, everybody thought that the paradigm of the NBA shifted when Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving signed with the Brooklyn Nets. This is the new dynasty that's coming up, a new empire. And here we are today, almost four years later. And I think they had one playoff series victory in that entirety. Kyrie Irving gets traded at the trade deadline this year. And honestly, it was fascinating to me because I think it even goes back during the pandemic. So many things happened between Kyrie and the Nets, the vaccine stuff, which even Cleve, you and I have talked about how he could go to the game as a spectator, but couldn't work. That was a little ridiculous. And then all the stuff with linking to a documentary that had some anti-Semitic thoughts in it. And the way that they treated him, making him come back with that list, that laundry list of items seemed a little bit unfair. And so ultimately he gets traded. Well, that causes a ripple effect in which LeBron obviously tries to go and get somebody. And then the Phoenix Suns make the splash of all splashes and get Kevin Durant in what is 100% a win now move. But I wanted to talk about the Kyrie part of it because he's such a polarizing guy and we've talked about him, us three on this show and the previous iteration of it. And we wonder if he cares about winning a championship, he goes to Dallas. And so you have two guys who are very much ball centric. And I hate to say Luca's a me guy, but definitely two guys who are more into taking a volume of the shots or as Cleve would say, the target share. So Matt, I wanted to ask you about everything that's happened with Kyrie and just your thoughts on where we went from with the vaccine into where we are now with this trade. I think it should have happened over the summer, right? And for both of them, for both the Nets and for Kyrie. I mean, he he clearly was disgruntled. We knew kept we knew Durant wanted out this past summer too, even though he was being kind of mum about it. 
it should have happened sooner than it did. Yeah, on one hand, I feel I hear what you're saying. Like a lot of stuff was unfair. I don't think he's ever done himself any favors either in any sort of regard. And I think that's, I don't know if New York was, or even Brooklyn, any, either of the New York teams was a good fit for him to begin with. What I think is more interesting is that he's been pretty quiet since he got to Dallas. It's almost as if there's a lesson that he learned, or at least all by all intents so far. And I'm wondering, the Nets didn't get nothing back. You know, there's they, they have actually pieces now still, but he, he's been, Kyrie's been pretty quiet since they got to Dallas. And I don't know if Dallas has improved. I don't, I didn't like fit to begin with. I actually thought the Lakers were a better fit for him, to be honest. But he seems to be learning something, or at least the minimum seems to be, we'll say, refreshed by a fresh start. Did you see the great stat that once he got traded, he and Luca were the only two teammates in the All-Star game? Or something like that. And I thought, that's just ridiculous. But <laughs> Cleve, you're a players guy. Now, you generally will tend to side with players. Now, you can be pro-management because you are in management in your real life. But you're definitely not a me guy. Correct. And Kyrie toes the line a little bit on me guy versus somebody who's just sort of eccentric compared to the rest of us. Because it seems as if in the All-Star game, which we'll get to later, sort of shows that with the way that he covered up the Nike logo with homages to different tribes and so forth. He seems to just sort of be on a different personal journey a la Aaron Rodgers. But definitely when it comes down to his teammate ability, he seems to be more me guy. But I want to get your thoughts on it because I know you've been very vocal about you're not really a big fan. I'm not a big fan of Kyrie per se, um, the person. I think he's a hell of a ball player. I mean, undeniably he's a gifted, gifted um, ball player. When it comes down to the Nets, the, the labor part of it, the working part of it, and this is kind of like what got got kind of like lost in this whole thing with New York City. Once the pandemic was over or quasi over or whatever you want to call it, um, it was deemed that all the people that lost their jobs or got suspended or during that time, they were brought back. Most of them were brought back and they were kind of retro paid for the most part. He should have been a part of that because he did lose income, um, albeit he made a choice not to get vaccinated. But again, when when it's a, it's a labor thing, he should have got compensated or whatever happened. The laundry list I didn't agree with. To make amends, he did what he, you know, what he should have. I don't know who was advising him, who was not advising him, but it is what it is. But when it comes down to you have a obligation to the team that you play for, to the organization that you work for. These other players are showing up to play with you. Um, this this could have cost them in that year, cost them contention because he wasn't available. He wasn't able to be with the team on on a night to night basis, but it was so silly as you as you mentioned Matt that he could he can go to a game but he can't <laughs> he can't play in the game like that was the dumbest part it was ridiculous yeah so when i look at it in a fishbowl it wasn't a good fit uh it was bound to to go go where it went when we saw what happened with harden we kind of know that the, that the nets it's like their their organization is kind of like i don't know I, I wouldn't say incompetent it's kind of a strong word but um you, you got to make these three superstars work, right? You got three potential Hall of Famers. You know it's bad when James Harden talks about a lack of accountability on a squad <laughs> when he called out Steve Nash. for and I, and I don't mean that to throw him under the bus, but he's a guy who I think the narrative following him is that he is like the ultimate me guy, mm -hmm. like the ultimate me guy. And for him to go to a team and be like, nah, I'm good. These people aren't accountable. That to me says something about what the culture was like 
What I want to take is this moment and look at what happened because the domino effect was ridiculous because, Matt, you said that the Lakers were a good fit. LeBron is nearing the end of what I have to believe is his career very shortly. I mean, he can't play like this until he's 45. And I think he's staring at his team, which has been, yes, they won a championship in the bubble, but I would say mostly it's been disappointing if I'm being perfectly fair about that. And I know chips matter and all that, but he wanted Kyrie. They don't get him. And of course, LeBron, the GM, goes to the Lakers and says, get me somebody. And so they retreading D'Angelo Russell, which I think is fascinating because didn't they jettison him off because he wasn't good enough? Now they bring him back. And so LeBron kind of takes that, that consolation prize. And then, boy, oh boy, the Phoenix Suns basically say, LeBron, go fuck yourself. We're going to get Kevin Durant and we're coming for it. We're coming for all of it. And in this day and age of player empowerment, it's, it's insane. The NBA is nothing like it used to be. Absolutely nothing like it used to be. And Matt, do you think that all of this is a good thing or a bad thing for the NBA? First off, I, I privately wonder how much the Phoenix Suns thing was as a KD thing as it was a brand new owner. I want to make a big move right now thing um, because Lord knows that brand new owners have a history of making super big splashes immediately. I mean, the guy literally bought the team and went a week later, what, a week later? It's about a week. <laughs> Trades for Kevin Durant. Let me <laughs> just go get him. <laughs> and, and you're absolutely right. Right. And, and it's it is 1000 percent a win now move. You have a 38 year old point guard and a 35 year old small forward, both of which are probably first bout Hall of Famers, almost undoubtedly. Player empowerment is not a bad thing. Um, I think that the, the poster child of it, funny enough, is LeBron. Like, I think LeBron has paved the way for everyone else to be able to do what they do. I think the, the thing the only thing that I would ask for the players, because this is this is the flip side for them, and I don't think they do enough in this regard. I don't think they take accountability for the fact of when they want to make a move happen. Well, give me this. Well, that's not my fault if it didn't work, but that's what you want. Like, you know, it, it goes both ways. You can have what you want. We'll try, especially if you're good and you're bought in, if, if there's a culture. But at the same time, I also look at teams like Golden State, which is the team that Kevin Durant was on once, has a great culture. He leaves due to, and then due to injuries and other factors, they kind of crater, get a really good draft pick to a guy they just traded a little while ago, and then win a championship anyway, coming right back. Like, that's culture and being bought in. So, like, player empowerment is important, but it doesn't supersede a culture, I think. But, Cleve, isn't there something to the hierarchy, the chain of command? Like, as management, you need that separation sometimes mm -hmm. because executives do their job, right? Maybe they don't play the game. Maybe they haven't played the game, but they are not paid to play the game. They're paid to evaluate the game and spend money based off of these things. And while LeBron is an excellent player, does that make him a good judge of talent? Same with Kevin Durant, right? Kevin Durant might say, I want to play with Kyrie, but does that mean that they're going to be a good fit? And I feel like while player empowerment is a good thing, if you're talking about it from a business sense, it's not a good thing. No, not at because all. Because these franchises, if you think about the guys who have been there that have said, I want this guy, this guy, and this guy, how many of them have actually won the championship? Not many. So the thing about that is when you let the inmates run the asylum, and probably a bad choice of <laughs> words to go with that there with this new climate. So you're already dealing with a dynamic on the team. Your coaches have to kind of, you know, work with the chemistry that is created from who they have. You bring in another guy or two more, two more guys, you disrupt the power. Now, this player, I'm not going to, pick on LeBron, but any player that, that has enough star power is getting his friends in or getting guys he feels he can play with because he, you know, he played AAU ball with or he played, you know, whatever tournaments with. 
whatever. So they they kind of make it a three-man squad versus the other players that, that are on that team. So we're catering to three per, a three-person squad versus playing with everyone that's on that team. You know, when we're bringing our sixth six man, seventh man, eighth man in to play with the the ones, you know, how does that work? Because everyone has to get their touches. There's only one ball, but everyone has to get their touches. So I look at it as like, okay, now we went from appeasing one superstar. Now we have to appease three superstars. And I saw on Twitter a lot of people saying there's no way that the Suns aren't the favorite to win the title. Sure, on paper. But paper doesn't win you anything. Correct. I think team chemistry does mean something. And you're bringing in Kevin Durant this late in the season, right? Like the Phoenix Suns have been to the finals. They imploded last year, I believe, against the Dallas Mavericks, right? And they're trying to win now because, as Matt pointed out, they are, they're there. They're on the cusp. They're so very close. But just because you bring Durant in doesn't mean Durant is going to buy into, hey, maybe if I take a step back, this team is going to win. Maybe he will. But to me, Kevin Durant has tried to, at every turn, prove that he's the greatest player of this generation, and he gets butthurt on Twitter every time somebody suggests something different. And so you're bringing him into this team with a guy, Chris Paul, who is a veteran. Like, that guy is so well-respected around the NBA. And does Kevin Durant think he's going to come in and play second fiddle to that? That part is the big question for me. And while, yeah, maybe it's a great move from a new owner, does it make a lot of sense and does it translate to the championship? Because if they don't win a championship, they're shit out of luck. I think he's the ultimate mercenary when it comes to, you know, of all the players that we can talk about. I think he's just the kind of person that would just come in to get his ring and then get out. Uh, he proved it when he went from, from Oklahoma City to, to the Bay. And when things didn't work out, because I, I think it wasn't him. I think it was him and a couple other characters on that team, Draymond, and, uh, and some other guys kind of not making it work where they could have won another championship with him but obviously the chemistry got blown up uh so you know he he parted ways and then he he pretty much did everything a teammate could do for Kyrie defended him stuck up for him i mean anything you could do to just to play with the guy and it ended up not happening so in addition to that though he's also been like the most malleable superstar when you think about it like he's integrated well i don't think that the he fits in question is yeah, I don't think the question is is he is he going to buy in. I think I think that's fine. I think the question is, can you make a midseason trade and win a title, which isn't not a common occurrence. I think the last that I really remember, I think the last one to do to make a big splash midseason trade and win a title was the 04 Pistons when they got Rasheed Wallace midseason, and they still only averaged seventy eight points a game, as everyone did then. <laughs> <laughs> but like, I mean. But that was like a hand, that was a literal hand in glove fit for that team, mm -hmm. and Kevin Durant could be a hand in glove fit for that team. But just statistically speaking, the odds aren't in their favor in that regard because that's not a common thing that you make a big splash mid season trade deadline and now you're winning a title. But isn't that different though? Because 2004, Sheed isn't Kevin Durant. He's not the best player in the league. And you're trying to capitalize on what is almost the best player in the league. I mean, he's a guy who you're like, oh, maybe we're this piece away. And we go out and get the right guy. Like, you go out and get Kevin Durant. It's not like, yeah, we're just this little nice complimentary piece away. Like, you're going out and getting the guy. True, but you got to remember, she was the guy where he came from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where he came like, from. But for that team, I'm saying, is they needed what he brought to the table. You made trades that way. Yeah. The Phoenix Suns have a lot of great pieces. And bringing in Kevin Durant, it's like the Bucks bringing in Tom Brady and saying, yeah, we were just Tom Brady away. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a very good point. That's true. 
I mean, just True. the way I see it. And I just think it's so fascinating because I'm not somebody who pays attention to NBA trade deadline day because most of the time they're trading for cap space three years down the road and you're getting rid of all these albatross contracts and stuff. And then it was like, boom, 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 throughout the entire day. I thought it was fascinating how it all centered around Kyrie and how the narrative starting two years ago all the way to now shifted the NBA and shifted the way that this playoff run is going to be. I thought it was interesting. But speaking of Kevin Durant, so our boy Stan Van Gundy, you know, I'm a big fan. And he likes to say things on Twitter. I think Stan is actually a great Twitter follow. I think he has a lot of knowledge and he's been doing pretty great, I think, for broadcast. He was talking about how today, and this, Cleve, touches on, on your profession, how today we have more knowledge on nutrition and health, right, and performance, and yet there seems to be a higher percentage of players getting injured. And Kevin Durant responded to it and said, I think he said Stan spitting or something like that. And Stan went on this long diatribe and Kevin's like, yo, Stan, I agree with you. So Cleve, in today's era of load management, where you've got all of your star players, and you can thank Greg Popovich for this, but you know, sitting out trying to save themselves for the playoffs, and yet we have more injuries. And do you think that load management is really working, I guess? So <clears throat> putting my trainer hat on, the so the thing about load management, and it starts this starts now when these guys are playing AAU ball and when they're younger because we're starting to see injuries, a lot of injuries in younger athletes that they don't get until like they're older because they're playing so much volume basketball. The amount of tournaments that these kids play, you know, in high school and, and you know, in college, and then you got, you know, G League stuff and stuff like that. So it's a lot of a lot of basketball on them, um, basically. Not And then for every guy who's doing like a, like a LeBron thing with, you know, spending $2 million a year on your wellness package a lot of guys don't have that kind of um wallet to do that you know Janetis obviously plays a, a part in it and the lifestyle that you live outside of basketball like you're you know if you're if you're a heavy drinker if you party a lot if, you, if you're not getting rest all that stuff is in, encompassing but um keeping in in the training realm some of these guys I'm, i could probably guarantee are not prehabbing anything like they're not doing the the stuff that you do um, to keep your body well tuned in the off season, you know, where these guys, it's like boxing, where these guys would walk around heavier in the off season, and they, unless they're playing some basketball like overseas or whatever, or they're, or they're playing some kind of tournament somewhere in in France or whatever it is. So uh, they're not giving themselves enough time to rest, and and they're pushing harder because again, like every sport, it's a win now league. It's like championship or bust. Which is which kind of like why you're you know you're in the game in the first place. Championships don't matter, Cleve. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a, a lot of guys in the Jordan era. <laughs> I feel like though, to your point, Cleve. Though I feel like it's either too much or it's not enough. Correct. Right. Because mm -hmm. you either have like it all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. But then you have the opposite, to which like Anthony Davis unfortunately sometimes falls into by all reports, where it's like, hey, I've done nothing over the summer, and then now I'm injured. You can't do nothing. Like Shaq was famous for that. Like my off season, my off season, I'm gonna live it up. I'm gonna party for it. He'd come back 30 pounds overweight, exactly. which is already a hefty weight to begin with. And then his knees would give out five games into the season. He'd miss a quarter, a third of the season, and then he'd be fine. The rest have to play himself back into shape the rest of the way. But you know, I think of like the greatest winner, the greatest winner in basketball ever was Bill Russell. Bill Russell didn't pick up a ball at all over the course of a summer. Never did. He was famous for that, but he kept himself in shape. So he took off half of his workload by not playing basketball, but while keeping himself in shape. So it's almost like, like when you think of like, I think when I think of load management, I think of like that, 
unless there's something like that keeps someone playing off of a long time, right? Let's like Anthony Davis, for example, and I feel bad to keep picking on him. I'm not trying to pick on him, but like if he has a history of injuries, which he does, maybe load management is, hey, I'm going to play you 30 minutes this night and 20 minutes this night and 30 minutes this night and then 20 minutes this night. Maybe it's something like that versus I'm going to play you there versus not play you at all. Mm -hmm. Like unless they're coming back from a major injury, which the Magic are doing with Jonathan Isaac, who came back from a two-year injury back back to back major leg injury stint he's playing 10 10 to 12 minutes a game and he doesn't play back to backs because they're easing him back into playing shape understandable when the guys missed two calendar years worth of basketball load management i think is more to what you're talking about of like it's how people manage their personal lives mm -hmm. and how they manage like that rest schedule it's it's a, it's a whole thing it's yeah. it's everything it's not the heavy drinking in the off season like these guys are partying and i get it you're multi-millionaire season is over you're gonna party you kind of touched on it though wouldn't you think that that comes more from like the pre-nba levels like the aau levels and the college and i'm trying to get in so i'm gonna work myself to death to try and get in now that i'm in oh crap i have to stay in do you think it's more to that though so i'm gonna i'm gonna pick on zion for a second one of the things that we noticed with Zion when when he played for Duke and even in high school, his land his landing mechanics were really off for someone his size. The way he would explode up and then he would land, you're like, that's that's a knee being blown waiting to happen, or ankle getting blown waiting to happen. Just the way he just the way he moves, right? Teaching those biomechanics of 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 how you work in your own body um, is is what I'm talking about because he's played a lot of basketball. You know, like he, all these camps, all these tryouts, all these, you know, tournaments that these guys might get into. Because for every, for every guy, there's a guy that's traveling that's crisscrossing the country just to get a, a thing. I think of this kid that won the dunk contest. Like he's a perfect example. He's, he's every chance he can pick up a basketball in front of somebody, he's doing it. I'm pretty sure of it. He's trying to get looked at. He's trying to get noticed. He's all over. And that's part of it too. Is that is that you that you don't give your your chance your body a chance to rest and slow down. I think the two of you missed something on this. First of all, Anthony Davis does plenty in the off season. He has a lot of shopping to do for all the street clothes he's going to wear for all the games he's going to miss. Okay, he's doing a lot. And as far as Bill Russell is concerned, he was probably apprenticing with all the plumbers and carpenters that he was playing against back in the fifties and sixties. So I think that they were doing plenty in the off season. But I guess when I think about all of this, I think it is an all encompassing thing, Cleve. And I think you're hundred percent right about this, but I also think from a basketball perspective and hell, even a business perspective that the all or nothing nature of load management, where you talk about ticket holders. And I know that we've talked about how players don't owe the fans anything and all of that kind of thing. But if you're talking about Anthony Davis playing 30 minutes, one game and 20 the next, or all 40 and then nothing the next game, to me, that feels too all or nothing. It doesn't feel like it's doing him any favors because is taking a full game off really doing anything for him and really getting down to the personal reasons as to why he always seems to get hurt. And Cleve, I want to know from you is where's the disconnect between these players and these trainers? And can we actually expect pro athletes to put that kind of, I guess, discipline in their everyday life? I mean, yeah, not everybody's going to do it, but why can't there, why doesn't there seem to be some consistency in this, in that there are players who, like Zion, for instance, who should be the best player in the league or close to it, but for one reason or another, can't get that discipline element down no matter what the trainers do for him? I'll give you one name. I'll give you um, Kawhi Leonard, what happened with him in, in San Antonio. Like, whatever trainer or doctor he didn't trust, 
it it blew up into this thing where he just he felt like that trainer or that doctor worked for the team. It wasn't his guy. So that's that's kind of like what happens. LeBron has two trainers that I don't know if he still has his regiment that he works with all year round. One guy is pretty much the off season getting him ready, and then the other guys is in season. Right. And they work in tandem with a team because uh, I think Kobe had this type of setup, too, where they had their nutritionist talking to their trainer and their trainer talking to their masseuse and the masseuse talking to the chef and everyone's talking to each other that. trying to trying to keep these guys, you know, keep these, you know, because how many Ferraris are you going to buy? So if you if you can spend that time into long longevity for your career, why not do that? So I think it's a level of trust because a trainer I mean, you know, you and I train, we've been training for the last few years. You you trust your trainer to have your best interest. And again, as a trainer, you have this guy's career in your hands, right? You're not going to, um, you're going to be risk adverse to having them do dangerous things, basically. Some of these guys are, are, are doing things that may put them in jeopardy with their trainer. Like they might go rock climbing and take a fall. You know, like, again, you're a world-class athlete, but you're playing basketball, <laughs> Um, I just think it the disconnect comes down to that that's not my guy. That's your guy. And if uh most of the trainers might be like a DPT, which is like a director, I mean um a doctor of, of physical therapy where they may notice something in your gait and how you walk or how you run and telling you like, hey man, you've been doing this all your life. You need to repattern that or you're gonna you're gonna blow your hip at some point. And then if you blow your hip, you're done. And they're not trusting that. And they're not, that's not my guy. He's telling me some bullshit. I don't wanna deal with that. Culturally, they're never going to get out of that, though, right? No, it's 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 as an athlete, you have to have that. And the, the three of us have played sports. Um, you don't want to be told you can't do something. <laughs> you, you don't want to be told that. Like, you don't want to be told you can't make that shot. You can't run that distance. You can't take that punch, whatever, you know, and, and you kind of feel like, no, I, I think I can. If I if I if I will myself put my mind to it, I can do it. I, I, I think the the trainer. Have you guys ever like said like oh i'm fast no right someone takes you out on the track someone takes you out on the track (laughs) someone takes you out on the track and they clock you and say matt this is what you run right now you're limited like now you're like oh my god i'm not fast because i thought i was a a sub a sub four guy (laughs) and now you're a you're a hard you know like you're in the sevens you know and you kind of feel like someone's taking something from you so i think when um, injury happens, and, and as you guys know, it's when you're coming back from an injury, you still have that level of fear because you don't want to go back into that injury cycle, mm-hmm. and and you feel like shit. You know, I'm lost at fearlessness. You know, how many guys were doing like like what Rodman's doing now in the league, diving head first into the stands for a loose ball? No one's doing that. All these guys are going into business for themselves. And speaking of guys who go into business for themselves, JJ Reddick, Matt, I want to bring this to you because we've also discussed offline and on air the legendary stories of Larry Bird. And I did mention a little earlier about Bill Russell, about plumbers and carpenters and so forth. And I'm pretty sure JJ Reddick was behind that one too, or said something very, very similar. I think it was Bob Cousy that he took a shot at, right? And JJ Reddick said that when he watches footage of Larry Bird, go around the elbow or whatever. He's never got anybody on him. But when he watches guys today, they constantly have guys on him. And the game is more physical now than it is today. And yet somehow we have more injuries. And Larry Bird had his back injury, but played, gosh, what, over a decade of solid elite basketball, winning multiple championships, being literally like the best player in the league. Where's the disconnect between J.J. Redick and all of these former players like Larry Bird, Bob Cousy, and so forth, who clearly played in an era where it was 
much more physical, much more difficult, but yes, maybe not as aesthetically pleasing. And maybe the other players weren't on the same physical level as a lot of players are today. I have a, I have, I've had a theory for a long time that I think that players who are more, who play modernly and look back into some of those like 80s and 90s generational basketball, I think that they substitute skill level for physicality when they're thinking about it. Because like, if you look at like, Skill level, one man one through man 15 on a roster today, I think that there's by and large a higher skill level in today's game than there was back then. I mean, shooting percentages alone dictate that, regardless of the fact that you're not allowed to play defense at all, like anymore, which is why everyone's going off for 70 a la Damian Lillard last night. No championships. But, but <laughs> right. But um, from a physicality standpoint, those people who didn't have skill back in the 80s, for the people that would knock the lights out of you when you come off of the screen. Like, why was Larry Bird so open? Because one of his teammates destroyed someone on a screen, left him on the ground, so Larry Bird's wide the hell open. I, I disagree in the level of physicality, but I think that that gets confused with people comparing skill because they are more skilled today. Um, but still, I've, I would argue that the stars of any era are just as skilled to play in any era. I was, I was going to second that. It, it, every every era has generational athletes. So if you looked at any one of those guys that weren't a name on those teams, they would clean someone else's clock. Some regular guy coming out of a bar in a bar league went and played ball with them. They would be they would be a superstar to that guy. You know, you just have to you just have to have these generational athletes sprinkled in on each team in, in the era. The only thing I'll give the old era is that there wasn't enough teams. Sure. So, of course, getting a championship, I mean, you're only beating like 10 teams or whatever, you know, whatever the number was. But that's the only thing I would give them. But uh, again, phys- I think you made a very good point about the physicality being married to that's not tough. And I'm like, <laughs> I mean, you could be a bruiser, but yeah, like think think of think of the 86 Celtics, which is considered one of the greatest teams of all time. Probably. And I can't think of a better one. Probably the best front court of all time. Let's like hands down the three of them. You had Bill Walton coming off the bench center. Do you know who the third string center was? Greg Kite. Greg Kite is the freaking poster child for I don't have skill and I'm just going to hit people, right? Enforcers. <laughs> yeah. Enforcer. You had the Bill Lambeers. Everyone the had enforcers. Like, how many enforcers <laughs> are in today's NBA? Like, you want to tell me it's more physical? Like, they're more worried yeah. about being liked on social media than they are about setting a hard screen. Exactly. Like, it doesn't it doesn't add up. Like, Rick Mahorn would kill someone in today's NBA. Charles Oakley would kill someone in today's NBA. Quite literally. Like, yeah. Like, it's it's not – the physicality is, was so much more back then, and they were allowed to get away with it. The refs wouldn't, refs wouldn't call it unless you were, like, bleeding. Whereas today, you can look <laughs> at someone funny, and it's called a foul. So you want to complain about physicality. That's the evolution of the game, though. Like, to – to take away what the skill was of the players from back then because the game is different today and all that stuff. Like, I think the one thing that we always do, I don't mean we, the three of us, I mean just we in general in terms of analyzing former eras is we make the assumption that if we bring guys forward that they wouldn't be privy to today's technology and knowledge and all that. Like Larry Bird would still look like he looked like to, like back in the 80s today. If Larry Bird came into the league and had everything that was at his disposal with all of that talent, Jesus Christ, would he be ridiculous <laughs> today? Like, we would talk, we wouldn't be talking about Steph Curry. We wouldn't be talking about Damian Lillard being the best shooter in the league. It would hands down be Larry Bird because he'd be throwing up 50 burgers every friggin' night. And, and to kind of tie the two uh, topics together, 
wouldn't wouldn't you say there might be a correlation to the lack of physicality and the increase in injuries? Whereas like back in the day, more physicality, less injuries, isn't it wouldn't it be isn't it correlate the same in football, right? Like they can't touch each other during practice, so they go in a game, get the lights knocked out of them, and now they're not playing for four, five games. I, I'm not as privy to football pre like 2000 as my as like you might be, but like I would imagine that there's less. I mean, long term injuries is a different thing when it comes to football, like like head like head injuries and head trauma and things like that. Like that's not a joke, but like I don't know. I feel like there's a correlation with the less physical you're allowed to be in a game. Today, you can't do anything in the NBA, whereas back then you could. They played through all that because they were used to that and they were conditioned to that physicality. So they built themselves up to resist that versus today we're not allowed to have that. And so if they get hit, they get hurt. The only sport that I can think of that uses the word load management is basketball. I mean, the people talk about the propensity of games they play, but baseball plays double that. And you can still see your favorite ball player, you know, most of the time. Yeah. You know, I mean, to be fair, they're just running around the little diamond and not running back and forth on a court, you know, doing all that stuff. But Cleve, but in football and basketball, though, there are more non-contact injuries, I think, than there ever correct, has yes. been. And that yes. part of it is fascinating. Like tearing your ACL used to be a death sentence. And now it seems like we got a guy every single week in the NFL tearing his ACL and they come back and they have a whole new career. Yeah, but but that's what I spoke to earlier about uh, about the prehab stuff. You guys know what rehab is, the, uh, the audience. But prehab is is doing these movements. They call them cars. Doing these movements to the point of nauseam, where your body gets to kind of simulate being in a certain position. So when you when your body, because there's no script of how you're gonna run and take a uh um a elbow or whatever it is, it just happens. But if you're moving the right way, your body gets used to moving the right way to to, to absorb that. So it's it's the prehab stuff. It's it's the the massages and and, and all the other things in the off season. Like should be swimming and you know doing doing other off cuff stuff other than just playing basketball. Like that's not that's not training. You know, oh, I'm just going to play a pickup game in the offseason. No, you, you do rowing, you need to do some running, swimming, whatever else. So we all three of us love to talk about eras and kind of tying all of these topics together. Let's talk about LeBron, because LeBron is probably at this point the most famous person to be compared to other eras because of the Michael Jordan debate. And he did something truly incredible a couple of weeks ago. And he broke, I believe, the all-time scoring record, Kareem's all-time scoring record, and cue up all the people like Stephen A. and Skip Bayless about whether he's better than Michael Jordan and all that stuff. I want to bring that here because I feel like this is another one of those debates where recency bias seems to creep in to a lot of people because I think if you're comparing LeBron and Michael Jordan, it's almost apples to oranges. But I wanted to open the floor to both of you, and you can decide who goes first, about what LeBron's career looks like and how much of that GM LeBron affects his legacy compared to, say, a guy like Michael Jordan. Yeah, Matt. I, to, to, to credit LeBron's greatness, obviously, doesn't matter who breaks the scoring record, that's, that's not a small feat to break, which kudos to him for that. What I think LeBron has done better than any other basketball player who's ever played is being able to play at the level he plays at even still today for as long as he has, is unmatched. To his credit, that is unmatched. With that being said, I think that where he gets killed, I think, when comparing 
personality types of players even. I don't think he's ever had the same killer instinct as like a Jordan. I don't think he's had it as like even Bird. We were talking about Bird a moment ago. Like I think Larry Bird would kill somebody before LeBron would. Even even guys like Magic Johnson, like I, I don't even know if he would be like a top five, I'm going to kill you kind of player as far as like, I'm going to win this game at all costs. Like if you, if you had to pick one player to win a game for all the marbles, are you picking LeBron James? I'm not. If I'm if I'm picking a player to build twenty years of a career on, of success, it's hard. It's hard to it's hard to bet against that. But one game for all the marbles, I would take Kobe before I would take him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People with that killer mindset, like he's never had it. He will always make the correct basketball play. But it's like cool. I'm glad that Damon Jones is wide open in the corner. Take the damn shot, LeBron. Was that his first? Was that his first ever? His first ever shot in the NBA? Like, if you're if you're dishing off to a wide open Dwayne Wade versus like Hurd, I got you, man. Like, make that pass. <laughs> but like, you're you're making a pass to who? <laughs> like, yeah. take the shot. Yeah, th- there's a reason LeBron is the highest played player on the team. But I I think that his the GM LeBron is or lay GM as he's affectionately known as. It's pretty um, good. Uh, I, I think that that has hindered what could have been his overall success. Like, kudos to him for getting the championships eight times. How many ta- how many players did Michael Jordan woo to the Chicago Bulls? How many players did Michael Jordan have an input on the Chicago Bulls? He didn't care. He just made sure he was ready to go and that whatever he was surrounded by was going to be as best ready to go as possible. And someone else, who granted he didn't like very much, <laughs> put that team together and deserves a lot of credit for putting that team to get those teams together. And continually retooling them, even you're like, you know what, Bill Carr, it's a hundred. Let's see if we can go find somebody else. Like, <laughs> you know, even even when it was that, and it was always forward thinking, even if it pissed off MJ and Co. Cleve, is it fair to say maybe this is too much of an indictment on LeBron? <clears throat> but I almost see a GM kind of like Jerry Jones, where he almost wants to prove that he can do it himself. When perhaps Mm -hmm. that stubbornness is getting in the way of true progress. But also, Matt mentioned earlier that players want to be more liked on social media. The list of other ventures that LeBron is a part of is so vast compared to his basketball career. When all is said and done, I would say probably his basketball revenue and profit will be less than some of his other ventures. And players back then didn't have all that. I know Michael Jordan has Jordan Brand and all that stuff, but that wasn't widespread across the league i mean lebron isn't he trying to get like an oscar to be like kobe right all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and while championships matter though does lebron really care about basketball in the same singular way that players had to like michael jordan back in the day is that unfair to say that i don't know so that that matters to the point of, of 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 what the professor just said the the killer the killer win it all or nothing while i'm out here gladiator mentality he doesn't have and he has what you're talking about basketball to him is a conduit of everything that that he is it's it's giving him the opportunity to be in certain orbits right when other guys felt like michael jordan felt like if i didn't win they don't love me you know i gotta win you know i gotta i gotta be like every every celebrity that that has a jordan story like how mike tyson has his stories where people hang out with mike they talk about about his everything is a contest for him playing cards on the plane like he's gotta win playing checkers this fucking guy's gotta win he just he just that he never turns it off and that might be 
going back to Tom Brady, you know, being a, you know, where he was picked, having that massive chip on your shoulder, you know, Jordan getting cut in high school and waited to his Hall of Fame speech to take a giant crap over everyone that was ever involved in, in him being, being, you know, who he is. But going down, I guess the original question when you asked Matt, to me, incredible feat, the scoring title. I never thought it would be done in this lifetime because it just felt like so far away. Um, but again, you know, Jordan didn't play as long, but has more accolades in a shorter time. It's it's what I say about O.J. Simpson being the original 2,000-yard rusher because he did it in four lesser games than most people have. So I just look at it as that. Scoring titles doesn't make you the greatest player ever. It just meant you can score. There's also a lot of awkwardness with him and Anthony Davis and him them celebrating LeBron, but then the team losing and the Lakers have sort of been middling in mediocrities no that i mean and again we've all been teammates of something and it's just like it's a moment he has his moment they stop the game and it is what it is but then does he play like the next night <laughs> no he's like so you had enough to get the 38 for, for tonight but tomorrow no we need you tomorrow night because we're still trying to win, we're still trying to um, win our conference. He st- he does that thing that you do. I did my part, folks. Just broke his all-time <laughs> scoring record. But I will say, I thought that Kareem was extremely graceful in all of that, and that shows just players aren't built that way anymore. And and I thought it was amazing the article that he was attributed to that I believe he wrote, just talking about passing the torch and having that and. For Kareem to still be alive, even to witness this, right? Like it's amazing to have those two players involved. But I was just impressed. But again, Kareem has more championships than him, right? I agree. More and more MVPs. And more MVPs, yes. Yeah. So for Kareem to just sort of graciously pass it to him and let LeBron have that moment, Michael Jordan wouldn't have even shown up. <laughs> You're probably right. True. No True. fucking way. There's Kareem. just no way. Also, Cleve, you said if if I don't play well. They're not going to love me. If they don't love me, I'm fucking coming for them. That's Michael Jordan. <laughs> exactly. And Kareem also didn't care if he was loved as a player. No. Like he was notoriously like anti against the media because he felt that they were biased in writing some sort of narrative. Yeah. Let's also not forget that Kareem played three years of college in which he took a dump all over everyone in the NCAA for three oh years. Oh, my God. And if he'd come out early, he probably would have had about another 6,000 points. They made a no-dunking rule, right? It was like he couldn't dunk. They made because a no-dunking rule. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. You, you can't dunk for three years. You can't dunk in this. In, in, in this. And, and again, like credit to LeBron for his for his longevity and ha- playing at a higher level at this point in his career than anyone else probably has. But that also ties in a little bit to the player empowerment, too, of like, hey, like, it's great that you're doing all this stuff, but it's like you're getting everything you want. But when you don't win, it's not your fault. Exactly. It, that's exactly the point. It's exactly the point. That's what a guy like MJ can dodge because MJ never said, hey, I want this guy on my team, and then didn't make it work. But MJ just never didn't make it work. So They let Dennis Rodman go off on weekend benders in Vegas and then come back, and he had like a 28-rebound game or some shit like that, right? And win a game like Michael Jordan wasn't the guy who wasn't going to be accountable, right? He wasn't that guy. And even at the end of the last dance, one of the goosebump moments of the entire thing when he's like, if you don't want to play that way, don't play that way. And he got like emotional. He had to cut it off because he's actually like crying about how competitive he is and how hard he is on his on his teammates. I feel like LeBron is hard on his teammates when they don't make him look good. I think I think you're 100 percent right. I think it's it's like I said, basketball is is not his identity. It's something that he does. 
for these other guys, basketball was their identity that they, you know, from the Dr. J's, I mean, anyone you think of, you're synonymous with that. To me, LeBron is synonymous with the things that he does all around. And I, I actually respect him more for his off the court stuff, like the schools and all that. Like, I, I'm totally into that. But as you guys know, I'm an MJ guy, will always be. There's no there's no convincing me unless you're going to brainwash me in a room. <laughs> there's no way that you that I would I would to win a game for all the marbles, as as, as Matt said, Jordan or LeBron is Jordan 100 percent the whole the whole way. And that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that LeBron doesn't want to win. Like, I think LeBron wants to win. I think LeBron accepts a loss better than MJ does. Oh, yeah. I don't think I think everybody accepts a loss better than NJ does. Let me just Le, LeBron is not going to be watching the iPad, listening to Gary Payton talk about Michael Jordan and be like, you know, and do that whole thing. And I, and I took that personally. Like that's not going to be LeBron, although he does take things personally, but not the kind of things that Michael Jordan did. But Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot here because right now the early predictions are that Bronny is going to be drafted by the Orlando Magic and. LeBron has been vocal about wanting to play with Bronny. And this goes for any franchise, but I'm putting it on your lap because you are the resident Magic fan. But would you sign up for that with the hope of a championship or would you rather them be mediocre and not even deal with it? If Bronny was three years older, we had this conversation three years ago, I might have a different answer. But like today, that's an absolutely not, not just for the sake that the Magic are actually in a, positive trajectory with a positive core for the first time in I don't know how long, but I don't want that on my team. At best, I may be getting one title, which granted is one more than the Magic have. I'm very aware of that, but I'm not giving up half my team just to have a year of LeBron and have a feel-good story of LeBron playing with the Sun. Maybe if Bronny gets drafted by, and I'm going to spitball here, Charlotte, which would be hilarious. Oh, yeah. Not just having Jordan or LeBron play for Jordan, but but like if something <laughs> like that. Jeez. But I would not want that. I would not trade for that um, unless I literally had no, literally no future. Michael Jordan would draft Bronny just so that that possibility had to go over LeBron's mind to be like, you might have to play for me. Imagine that. <laughs> that is brutal stuff. So. Matt, I just want to put you on the spot there. But before we get to the last segment, I want to bring up the All-Star game because this is just an outsider's opinion. Anything happening in Utah is an unmitigated disaster. And I thought that having the All-Star game in Utah, the, the Jazz obviously had a great run, the Jerry Sloan years and all that. And there's nothing wrong with celebrating the basketball elements of it. But in today's society, bringing back certain people that have problematic, and that's using this term lightly, issues from their past, I felt like the NBA just completely forgot or intentionally decided to ignore bringing back Karl Malone for all of these festivities and making him a big focal part of it. And he impregnated a 13-year-old when he was in college. And then all of this comes back up because this is what happened. And Karl Malone's like, yeah, I'm not talking about that. I thought the whole thing was completely tone deaf. And to be capped off the cherry on top, the game sucked. Most of the players didn't seem like they wanted to be there. Some white guy from Georgetown won the dunk contest. Where are where are we? The Carl Malone thing is kind of disturbing on its on its ear. And and that kid actually played in the NFL. He played for the Ravens for a couple of years. Yeah, something like that. It's just um I mean, I don't know what they were supposed to do because it happened so long ago, but 
the optics being being that guy in the room, I'm like, I don't know if we should. I mean, we have a lot of other players that we could bring in that were just as magical. But um, I don't know if we can bring this guy in because in in this day. Yeah. In this day and age uh, with this cancel culture and all this stuff that goes on, this is probably not what we want to do. And I, I just think someone didn't read the room. Let's also not forget that one of Carl Malone's children has more championships than he does. Ooh, damn. That's man, Matt. I mean, God, that just totally derailed this whole thing. Carl Malone, here's the bus. <laughs> just sit under it, and Matt's gonna run you over, back up, run you over, back up. Because that's what just happened. Yeah, that. Woo! I agree with you, Cleve. I agree with I agree with all of that. And it's not that they wouldn't have done it would have been an improvement, but it wouldn't have been like a drastic improvement if they had brought in like Stockton, for example, who's also yeah. said some pretty polarizing <laughs> stuff here in the last couple of years. But he was there too, by the way. Yeah. So they had the they had the double whammy. But Cleve, you said that they can bring anybody else, and I'm like, there isn't. Please yeah. el- el- elaborate. <laughs> yeah. I would love to know who. Well, again, bring some Darren Williams. Said, Give me some Darren Williams. Come right. to the All Star. Rudy game. Gobert, bring him back. <laughs> no, nah, but I, you know, I don't know how they pick the locales for this thing. But obviously, um, having in the cold weather city, I think one of the places had like a, a sneaker shop in like an ice palace. I was like, it was like 28 degrees in, inside the store. Like, what? But you're having it in quite literally one of the most conservative cities in the entire country to the point where you're having all these people go there, rowdy fans. And I don't know. I just felt like it was a weird experience altogether. And to me, even though Adam Silver is probably the best commissioner in sports, it just proves that all-star games, they need to go. Like, they're just not relevant anymore. The thing about, so versus the NFL, the, the NFL has their after the season. This is in mid-season, just like the thing like baseball and, and hockey, which in mid-season, how hard are these guys going to play in a all-star game when they, you know, literally a week later, going back to like their regular schedule games? I think the problem is that they complain about not making the all-star game and then they go and they show up and it's like they don't care. And it's like, well, you can't, you can't on one hand complain, right? And then... Well, the fans, the fans are voting in the most popular players, right? I don't know. I, I don't know if they're really hard checking these numbers that guys are having. Some guys are obviously coming in on, on, on merit. And then some guys are coming in as this like, oh, this guy has a million people on social media and he has a, you know, he's a stylish guy, whatever it is. Like I said, the kid for the dunk contest, they brought in someone not only that no one's never heard of technically. I mean, he's, you know, he's a, trying to get somewhere, but no one, no superstar wanted to do it. They never do. That's LeBron's fault. Yes. I'm, I'm going to hold that one to LeBron. Like he's the one that killed it. Yes, that's right. He's the one that killed oh, it. But of course, that's a YouTube short waiting to happen right there. Right. But of course, nobody wants to play in the All-Star game. I mean, we just spent half an hour talking about load management. You're going to not play the four <laughs> games leading up to the All-Star break. And now you're going to go play in the All-Star break. Hope you don't sprain your ankle. Like, of course, nobody's going to do that. And of course, it's going to be in a place where I would bet if you polled most of the NBA players and you said, what are your least favorite places to play? Utah would be top three almost unequivocally across the board unless you have to play in Utah because that's the team you're on. Like, it, it, it's so, like, I, I mean, I didn't watch the All-Star game. I haven't watched an All-Star game in a couple of years because there's there's no point. Like, the players, there's no effort. It's not incentivized. Like, if you incentivized it for them, then perhaps they would. But, but like, yeah, the fans picked 10. But with what? What would you, I mean, they're multi-millionaires. Like, what would you give a guy? Strippers. Which are in abundance in Utah. <laughs> I was going to say, not in Utah, but maybe in other cities. I mean, the, the NFL had a horrible All-Star weekend as well. I mean, it's, you know, what they did. 
and I get it. You got to entertain the fans, but I wouldn't be so far fetched to do away with it all altogether. Just give these guys a week off. So fuck it. You know, guys, you know, take care of yourselves, whatever, and we'll come back. But it, I, I didn't watch the game. I, I, even the highlights, I'm like, I can't even watch some of this. Like people weren't even going by. And the last, the last also weekend I watched was literally the Vince Carter, like that, that dunk con. What was that 2000? My goodness, Cleve, it's been that long. Yeah, I, I just don't, I don't, um, because you know what it is? It's a lack of defense. Like, you know, guys are going to just let people blow by them. When Kobe played, obviously, Kobe was like, hey, I'm, they keep in score. I'm fucking playing ball, right? Kobe didn't give a shit. Kobe's like, I'm playing ball. Like, we're, we're out here. People are watching. I'm playing ball. You guys can fuck around if you want. Those all-star games in the 90s, man, they were like a regular season game. Yeah. <laughs> they were not messing around, okay? Like, not me- And that in, that's in all, all other sports, too, baseball included, where players actually played. And maybe it's just speaking to the change in personalities and the way that we value, like you said, load management and other things. But I don't know. Maybe I'm getting older. I did just turn 40 last week, and it's like, Man, what changed so quickly? I, I remember loving All-Star games because it felt like the players thought that it mattered and therefore it mattered to the fans. And I, I watched the highlights and thought, nobody gives a crap. Nobody gives a crap. And so I guess if you're going to have something where nobody gives a crap, have it in a place that nobody gives a crap about. Sorry, Salt Lake City, but have it in a place <laughs> like Utah because why not, right? Like just make the most boring game in the most boring place and make it the most boring weekend of all time. But you know what, guys? We're getting close to the end. And I think we need to bring it back a little bit. We've been kind of negative, talking about Karl Malone, you know, taking a shit all over Anthony Davis. And we're going to go into a segment that we call of the week or OTW. But I do have something that I have for you. So always, every single week, we do what's called Iceman Stat of the Week. The Iceman being me, and usually we have Coach's Pick of the Week, but because Coach is not here, we're only going to have Iceman Stat of the Week. So we've been talking all about basketball. So of course, my Stat of the Week is going to be a baseball Stat of the Week, but this is too good not to bring up. And actually, it segues perfectly because we talked about the All-Star Game. And do you both remember Pete Rose taking out the catcher at an All-Star Game? Mm -hmm. And that's the way that they used to play it. So Pete Rose probably synonymous with being the best hitter, one of the best hitters of all time, at least in Major League history. Also, Tony Gwynn is in that same category. And I saw this stat and I just, it tickles me because Tony Gwynn's stats are amazing. So if Pete Rose made a return to baseball and had 750 at-bats and got a hit in all 750 of those at-bats, Tony Gwynn would still have a higher career batting average than Pete Rose. That tells you how great Tony Gwynn was to the point also that I believe he had 19 seasons where combined he struck out less than some guys do in one season now. Wow. Yeah, Tony Gwynn was amazing. So there you go. A little stat of the week that I couldn't pass up. I wanted to find a Larry Burt set. I'm sure there's plenty of them, but this one just really tickled my fancy. So guys, we have come to the end of the episode. I thought a very great episode, bantering back and forth about all things NBA. I mean, we're pushing toward the playoffs now. Gosh, Matt, play-in tournament might be in play, no pun intended, for the Orlando Magic right now. So we may have to return to you as we get closer to that. We're definitely going to do a live look-in when the Magic take Bronny so we can see your reaction. And I think that would be great. So we'll have to pencil that in for 2024. But Clave to you and then to Matt, do you both have any parting thoughts? Most of our conversation in the second part of the show centered around low, um, low management. And 
you know, any if this ever gets to any player of any 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 sport, um, obviously basketball, uh, there is something to be said about taking yourself or taking a family member or, or your kid to a game. It might be your only game that you're going to get to go to. You might have to scrape because tickets aren't cheap and you're sitting out because you just don't feel like playing. If you're if you are really injured and you can't play, I get it. Or you're hurting. I get it because, it, it, you know, it's demanding sport. But if you're just going to sit out because you just don't feel like playing because your opponent is Utah, <laughs> no offense. And you, say, you know what? I'm not coach. I'm not going to play tonight. But then someone drove 150 miles in the freezing cold with their kid. They come in and the team that's feeling is, is not the lot that you want to see. It's fucked up. Kobe said it best. Kobe's like, they're watching. Fans are here to see me play, man. He had a dislocated finger <laughs> and he popped it back in and played the game because he felt like, yo, the fans paid money to see me play. I'm playing. Enough said. I was wondering where you're going to go with that. And then I thought you were going to say, but, you know, my opinion is not those of the Matty Ice Media Network, but instead <laughs> you went, think about the kids. I didn't actually expect you to go that route. Yeah, no, nah, it just, I mean, I, you know, I've, um, I'm, I'm trying to think of anything that I've, I've gone to and just got like a big letdown. I'm like, wow, this sucks. I believe Matt has a story. Didn't you get load managed by Greg Popovich at a Magic game? <laughs> I actually did. Greg Popovich had me good the one time I actually got to see them in person. But I will say this, thinking about um, Damian Lillard's 71 the other night, last literally last night, had me thinking of like, because like there's not been a lot of 70-point 70, 70 games. We've had two this season. We had Lillard's last night and Donovan Mitchell's early in the, earlier in the year. There have been 13 70-point-plus games in the history of the NBA since 1946 to the present. Wow. And two of them have occurred this year. So if you want the state of defense in the NBA and the rules regarding defense in the NBA, here you go. It should also be noted that Wilt Chamberlain holds six of those 1374-plus <laughs> point games. I was actually going to say, Wilt's got to have a good percentage of those. That's half almost. Just about, yeah. <laughs> including the t including seven of the top eight. Jesus. Six of the top. No, I'm sorry. Six of the top seven. Plus, if you count the 10,000 women he allegedly banged, then he had quite the life and career in many respects. So before we get out of here, I want you to support the Pub Time Podcast. Coach will be back next week. He and Ryan are always doing fun stuff. So please check them out wherever you find your podcasts. And as always, support the Matty Ice Media Network where you can find other podcasts like Cleves the Manual and also Political Football. MattyIceMedia.com is the place to do that. If you are listening on Apple and Spotify, please click that follow button. Give us a couple stars. I'd actually prefer you give one instead of zero. Don't be that guy. Say something. And if you're watching on YouTube, like, subscribe, all that good shit. I hope that this finds everybody well and safe. Gentlemen, I want to thank you for your time. And as always, this is Iceman and Coach. The opinions and viewpoints expressed on the Iceman and Coach Sports Show are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. The Iceman and Coach Sports Show is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.